Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 43 of Rise Up, the podcast. I'm here with your host, Greg Biscarenulin. We are here to recap an interesting group of semifinal games. Not what we expected. Our man uh, Hutton last week nailed it right on the head with the archers. He had that feeling, and I mean, we can get into it with a little in a little bit. But before we get into those games, you know how we like to do it: recap our weeks. Greg, how was your last week? How's it going? I'm sure it's all crazy with September one being about ten days ago, twelve days ago. So, how's it going? It's going well so far. Uh, FOA guys are going flying off the board, going to their dream flying. schools. Always, always a great thing, but for every one kid who gets to go to his dream school, 30 lacrosse dads are upset, and they text me. So, um, look, it's an it's a interesting time for a parent and a player, and, um, you know, we're just trying our best to help guys navigate it. You know, 700 kids want to go to Yale, and only one's going to go. So you always got to try to help kids manage expectations. You know, Sives, it's interesting with that whole, like, recruiting thing, I think the media makes such a massive deal out of September 1 that these poor kids think, like, the whole recruiting day is just – that's it. How great, was your boy, like, how great was your boy Jerry's tweet yesterday? It was, it was awesome. Dude, we do this every year, Sibes. Every year we do this. And, like, you know, I was telling parents, like, I was getting – I'm still getting emails about 2024 face-off guys. And, you know, the 25s, it happens every year. Three or four guys get their dream school because they're the best at their position, ranked-wise, as far as coaches are concerned. And if you're an athlete and you're listening to this, don't expect that you're just done lacrosse after your summer before your junior year. You have to be prepared for fall ball. And guess what? If you play well in fall ball, you should be ready to play well in the spring. Not just if you're uncommitted, but if you're committed you are committing to continuing to get better. And what I've seen, and I don't know about you, but I've seen, especially with this face-off thing, kids commit and then they just throw the talent. They don't want to work on their game anymore. They don't want to get better. You don't see them anymore. The next time I hear from some kids is when they're in the portal after their freshman year because they didn't get any better and now they're not playing. So don't make that mistake. Be prepared to continue to get better. Because when you say you're committing, you're not just committing to go to a school. You're committing to be ready to play and make a difference. Because if you're a freshman incoming, you remember what it was like, Sibes, at Villanova. Totally. Every year, first practice, what kind of freshman do we got? You know, oh, we got the, this 20th-ranked attackman. Like, how is he? You know, and if you show up and you're not what, you, what people think you are, it's going to be an awkward first And year. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this, too, for kids listening. When I was at school and we had, you know, some, you know, Under Armour All-American coming in who's an attackman, and I'm already there. I'm like, I'm not letting this motherfucker take my spot. I'm putting, I'm making him go behind me every drill. I'm, you know, giving him elbows. I'm making sure, you know, your teammates. Yes, but it's still competitive. You're not giving up your spot if you're already on the team. You got to keep working. And coaches always want to get better. Yeah. So but, that's that's what we've been doing. But now now we're in the fall. And 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 look, I love lacrosse, but football's here, baby. Oh yeah. And and I love football, man. So. Uh, yeah, cool cool times. How about you? I had a pretty busy last weekend. I had a wedding up in uh, – it was close to Lake Placid. It wasn't in Lake Placid. It was this place called Ossible Club up in uh, upstate New York. It was beautiful. Beautiful. It was one, one of my high school friends. Um, he invited all of our buddies from high school. We were, like, on this, like, compound where you really – there was nothing else around it. There was, like, cabins and stuff. It was super cool. 
Um, wow. There's a nine-hole golf course there. There was, you know, activities, and we had a really good time. So it was fun. Got back, woke up early Sunday morning, so I get back and watch sports. Um, so I was I was hurting a little bit. I had to maybe take a little bit of a snooze so I could be ready for the Pats game at four. But um, it was a good weekend. I'll tell you what, though. Do you do you still have cable, or do you, are you a cord cutter? I haven't cut the cord now because I I am so convinced that if I cut the cord, that Verizon is going to suddenly make my internet go slower. So, this is the first time in my life in this apartment, so about a year, that I haven't cut the cord. And, or excuse me, that I, I have cut the cord. So, I don't have cable anymore. How and is it on the other side? It sucks because I want to flick, I want to flick to the PLL games and between the PLL and the football games. I want to go back and forth. But now I have to go into the ESPN app, out of the ESPN app, into the NFL app, out of the NFL app. It's, it's bullshit. And Dude. it's... It's it, such it, a it is the worst. We we it's just like we got duped. Like when we were growing up, man, we drank tap water and everything was fine. Now we're convinced that we have to dr- buy bottled water and pay for things that were free. Now, same thing. We have we used to watch television for like twenty dollars a month. Now there's all of these streaming apps that have ads anyway, and now it's like I'm paying six hundred dollars. I I I am afraid to itemize it, Sibes. <laughs> but I guarantee I'm paying like $500 a month to watch shows. It's it's like, thank God my parents still have cable because I use their login to get the HBO and the Showtime. And if that wasn't the Wait case. Wait till you get to I my would... age where your in-laws are actually hogging your internet and stuff for free. <laughs> yeah. Flip the well, switch flips real quick. With that being said, my re- my solution was I, I brought out the iPad, had the PLO on the chest with the TV, with the football and the red zone in the background. But. Man, we had some crazy games, and not crazy in a good way. Crazy and more so, just surprising. Anti-climatic. Let's start off. Yeah, let's let's start off with the Archers and Redwoods game. I mentioned our boy Hutton Jackson came on, gave us some sharp, sharp picks. He yep. had it right. I had it wrong. I believed in the Redwoods. I know you were kind of betting with your heart a little bit too, or, or following your heart a little bit. We liked the way the Redwoods played in the quarterfinal game. You know, they beat the Chaos by six, but here. Archer's just too much for them to handle. I wanted so badly to go with the plus one and a half with the Redwoods. And when we were talking on the show, you know, I was hoping that Hutton Hutton would convince me that that was the move, but he didn't. And I went with the money line with the Archers because I just didn't want to be hurt again. So I thought, okay, if I bet, I do this with football sometimes with Penn State. Like I'll bet that they're not going to cover. So that way I either make money or I'm happy. So I did the same thing. I bet the Archer's money line. If the Redwoods pulled it off, I would have been happy but lost my bet. Instead, I won my bet. Um, I am happy for the Archers making it to the championship game for the first time. It's awesome. And Mike Sisselberger is a big part of that. And the MVP of the league, Tommy Schreiber, is a big part of that. Was very upset to see our boy uh, Connor Fields go down, though. And that, that was a bummer because he's having a tremendous season. Um, and, you know, we're wishing him the best of luck. I don't know what the exact prognosis was. I thought it was a shoulder. Was it a shoulder? I think so. It looked like yeah. it was coming up, though, yeah. Yeah, um, so that's a bummer it, for him. Did, did, is he, is it, is, did it come out that he's done? Or I mean, the man's he... in a sling. So yeah. two weeks, I don't know. If that sublaxed or if it came if out of an, If it's an AC joint. He could go through with it. If it popped out, 
then, then it's what's it the labrum, it could then it's, then if it's, it's a labrum they can i mean there's plenty of things they can do to pad and tighten but that's not yeah. you can't shoot with that off yeah. arm you know yeah. <laughs> not that Connor fields even needs two hands to play lacrosse but um the last thing you want is him getting i mean obviously when he goes in the championship game that shoulder is going to be targeted and you don't want that so yeah, and I think I know this game. Just the archers just jumped out all over them. Um, jumped all thought, over. And you know they go out four nothing in the first quarter. Redwood shows some fight. I mean, I think you know big story they had. You know Dobson played unbelievable. Um, Dude, he was he was almost eighty percent. And and that's what I'm saying. Like the Redwoods had their chances. Right? They did, and Jack Kelly didn't play bad either. I mean, they only you know they, the archers didn't have a single quarter where they scored more than four goals. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Jack Kelly played great. Um, and the faceoffs were relatively even. It was actually cool to see Grant Ament be Grant Ament. Um, so, you know, offensively, the Archers were solid. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I thought, the, I thought the Redwoods did a pretty good job of getting back on the transitional defense. Um, but it was just, I mean, Dobson was a stud. And they were collapsing so hard on the slides on the crease. Um, they were basically daring the Redwoods to shoot it out from outside, and Dobson was eating everything up. So it was just really – I mean, it was great, impressive. It's just funny seeing that the Archers' defense is what got them into the championship. And we've been – you and I have been saying this all season. We've been enamored with their offense, but their defense was really good and no one was giving them credit. And it was just cool to see that. Yeah, and I know this – I should have been more clear at the start of the show – we're just giving a recap of the semifinals. We have a week off in between before the championship. We'll give our previews next week. But what also comes up, and we can get into this later on. We don't have to get into it too deep right now, but the Redwoods have a lot of decisions to make offseason. I saw their list of free agents after this year. Team can look really different next year, um, yeah. which, which I mentioned last episode. I love that they still have their core of Notre Dame guys, but it, it, they have some really tough decisions you know, going forward. For what we understand, Glaze is going to be done. So, you know, that's massive. Um, and, and we'll we'll see what other what other things happen. But yeah, I mean, we're going to have an entire off season worth of shows to talk about these off season moves. Each team, you know, just the year that it is with guys' contract structured the way they are, there's going to be a lot of these situations going mm-hmm. into the off season. But you know, I think if you're the Redwoods, I think the thing they got to figure out is the midfield. Yeah, you know what are we going to do in the midfield score? They had, you can't you can't have one scoreless quarter and expect to win in the PLL, let alone two. Yeah, um, and they were outscored seven to three in both halves. So, you know, it's uh, I'm sure those guys are frustrated. I'm sure you know Rob Pinnell's frustrated. Garnsey guys who had crazy good seasons, but they have to figure out what are we going to do in the offseason to get some midfield production out of this team. How many because, how many uh, years do you think how many years do you think uh, Rob has left? He's still playing like he's 22. Dude, Rob, Rob still, I, I, like I was saying before, I think Rob is in, I think Rob is at the peak of his career right now. Totally. With the combination of he's still athletic, he's still playing at a high level athletically and physically. He takes great care of his body. Um, and now he has enough experience in his years of playing professionally, especially in the PLL now, that he can be devastating because the game slows down for you. It was like Ray Lewis towards the end of his career when he was even better, even though he was slowing down a little bit because he saw the game before it happened. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's uh, – I think that attack unit is 
awesome, and I think they're going to do everything they can to keep it intact, but they got to find some midfield help. Definitely. I think that's a great point. And, you know, they, got, they brought in Romar, and, and I think I was a little critical for that trade, not in terms of the personnel, but kind of just questioning, you know, what the reason was behind yeah, it. Yeah, i, I got to give you credit, Romar, though. I don't, think, I don't think you were flat out like they shouldn't have done it. You and I were both just kind of like, yeah. let's see what happens. Uh, and it actually turned out to be good for both sides. Both sides got the best. They definitely got more production out of both guys. Exactly. Yeah, totally. So, you know, credit to Romar for finishing the season strong with the Redwoods. Um, congrats to the Redwoods on a great season. Yeah. They won some close, gritty games. They produced countless highlights. And, you know, they, they, shouldn't, be, they shouldn't hang their heads. You know, great season. They ran into a better team at this point of the season, and, and that team's moving on. They've been the best team all year, and they ran into a buzzsaw. But uh, speaking of a buzzsaw, Oof. holy shit. This next game, Water Dogs, Cannons. Speaking Ooh. of flicking, when it took me five minutes to get out of the NFL app into the ESPN app and turn this game on, the score jumped in the second quarter, and I was like, whoa. What the hell Dude, is going 17, on? Dude, it was 17-6, and it wasn't even that close. Um, the, the dogs jumped out on them. Jumped out on him right away. I don't have the stats in front of me, but this has to be the biggest margin of victory on the season for any game. Yeah, you don't see this very often. I mean, Dylan Ward played phenomenal. And he played like gold medal, Canada winning Dylan Ward. Um, And once again, the the opposition, Kirst played great. 13 saves, almost 50% save percentage. Um but he was completely outshadowed. Ward, Wardo came way out on his crease and was in front of everything. Um, and, and, you know, look, we had the, um, we had the fascinating face-off situation we thought we were going to have. So that's and, exactly my question to you because last week we talked about, you know, last time they let, you know, Courier won his face-offs, but the Cannons won. This, this, uh, what they do different this time? So this is what happened this time. Um, the cannons are in such a full prevent. The problem with that is it's almost impossible to come back. And I was making the comment on Twitter during the game. You used to see great comebacks in lacrosse at all levels. It always is because they're able to win faceoffs in game momentum. Mm-hmm. You don't get that kind of mojo in the PLL this year. So if you're down going in the fourth quarter, good luck. Um, so, which sucks because it used to be the best part about pro lacrosse, but what I thought the difference was is even though Courier isn't a face-off guy, quote-unquote, he's a really smart player. And what you saw on the face-offs was the Cannons dropped everybody back. Literally, their, their pole would go out there with his heel on his heels and on the whistle fall backwards and give you a ton of room because they just didn't want to get broken forward on a fast break. So what Courier started to notice was he could just flick the ball up to himself and run to the right. And then he started getting on an island. He started doing it in the fourth quarter, got an assist, and then got an immediate shot again. The difference, though, Eli Goldbrecht, when he would take the draws, he would go out there against Goodrich. It was pole on pole. And good and, and Eli would clamp the ball because Goodrich would just fall back. And he would just send it. He would literally ice the ball, ice the puck, all the way into the cannon's arch. And I thought that was brilliant because what you're doing is you're basically saying if you don't pick it up, McCardle's going to pick it up and dunk it. If you do pick it up, now you have to clear from your own end, and you got 20 seconds basically to do it. And so, so the it clock was in, doesn't start right until someone picks up the ball. Yes. You can do so as you, much as you want. Yeah, I guess 30 seconds you get to clear the ball, and, and it happened 
every time Goldberg, I actually thought they did better when Goldberg was doing that. And he was throwing the ball into the, the, the zone of the cannons. By the time they got their guys on, there was like four seconds left on the clock. I guarantee that's going to be a massive talking point. We'll get to that. But that's a massive talking point in the offseason. No one likes this rule. Everyone hates it. It just flat out sucks. But they played it perfectly. And the problem for the Cannons was when you're relying on that as your main way of winning games, if you're not leading like they were most of the time, it's really impossible to get back into it. Because you're, at the very least, say in the fourth quarter, at the very least you're giving up 30 seconds at a time because you just can't get the ball. Um, and then it actually turned out to be even worse than that because they were turning it over and then running back on defense. So, um, yeah, I mean, the Water Dogs played a phenomenal game. And, you know, Sowers was sensational. He had six points. Um, you know, they dominated on pretty much every aspect of the game. And I thought that, you know, people people will be, like, shocked. They'll be like, what are you talking about in the face-offs? Because when you look at the stats, it says 56 to 40%, um, which – if you're keeping score at home, no, that doesn't equal 100%. Um, but basically, it's that score, it's that percentage because of Goldbrick would just send it into the cannon's end, and they wouldn't have any choice but to pick up the ground ball. So, you know, what did you see from it? I just thought that the the Water Dogs just dominated possession, and when they did ha- when they did have the ball, they 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 were just really intelligent with it. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it. You know, we talk about we love talking about the the X factor positions, you know, face off and goaltending and right. The POL did their best this season to take the X factor out of the face off position. But when you get a hot goalie, that man players grip their sticks a little bit tighter. You get the ball less. You're, you're not scoring, you know, even the pros, even at this level, you feel that pressure when you, you feel, feel it more, you feel it more goalie. in the pros because at least in high school and college, there are a lot of role players. In the pros, even the second string D midi was an alpha in college, mm-hmm. right? Everybody's an All American. Everybody was a Tourton finalist. Everybody was a stud on their Division One or two or three team. So you feel that pressure even more, and you start to do more uncharacteristic things. In the, um, I've been part of. I've been on both sides of this type of game. Remember in The Replacements, Keanu Reeves talks about a quicksand game where a couple things start going wrong and then you start trying to force it and the harder you fight and the harder you try to get dig out of it, the more you sink. Mm-hmm. And you could tell the cannons were just up and down frustrated in this game. And, and this, this was disappointing to me uh, as advertised. I think this game was supposed to be you know, 17-16, not 17-6. And it's a bummer because of how great of a season and how great of a turnaround the Cannons had that they kind of laid an egg here. And it's no one's fault, really. It's just kind of like you said that all of them, you know, everyone's trying to force it a little bit more. They, you know, I'm sure at some point in that game, the players on the Cannons were like, why the fuck don't we have a face-off guy who just (laughs) gets the ball? Right? You know what? And, and look, I would love to blame the rule on this. And, and I do believe that if we had a Jake Withers versus Jake Fopp face-off battle, that this would have been a much better game. Um, but that's not why the Water Dogs won by a lot. The Water Dogs won by a lot because they played a magnificent game. They, I mean, they swung yo, the ball. By the way, Goldbrick, we were talking about Goldbrick. Let's just talk about that. There was a moment where he was clearing the ball, full speed, 
and he did a full swim move at midfield with a long pole. And I was Good like, team. yo, if that <laughs> dude, if you like, if there was still like a lacrosse, like lack sports network, mm-hmm. that should have been a top five play. Cause yeah. I have freaking never seen that. It wasn't like a jumping, like barely doing it. It was like full swim in mid stride going four two forty. That dude can move, man. That was impressive. Yeah, and then, you know, the Water Dogs converted on their chances. They they were scoring easy goals. And, yeah. and, and it's not because the Cannons were playing bad defense. It's because the Water Dogs were making the extra pass. They, they rode so hard. They, you know, were creating extra opportunities, and they were sharing the ball. It was pretty offense, and it was just – I'm sure the Canada's defensemen's heads were spinning. I'm sure they were like, man, we're playing defense again. Man, like, what the heck can we do? They're running out of slides. And, you know, just hats off to the Water Dogs offense. You know, they're back in the championship. They get to defend their title now. So, really cool to see. You know, you talked about Sowers. What a game he had. Three and three. Just, that's, you know, another day in his, another day in his life. You know, balance. You know, put the ball <laughs> in that. Di- distributing the ball out there. Um, the Cannon's offense, you know, the Water Dogs defense did a great job holding Nolting and Holman to really kind of, you know, look pretty. That was incredibly impressive how well mm-hmm. they played defense against Asher Nolting. Because Asher has been bullying people. Like, Absolutely. like Shaq, vintage Shaq in the lane dominance. And they played phenomenal team defense. And it was great to watch. Um, and Sowers was Sowers. And I thought, you know, look, I'll be honest. I think this game could have been more of a 20 or 21 to 6 type of game. The Water Dogs took their foot off the pedal in the fourth quarter and really tried to, like, just kill time. Um, So this could have been even – I mean, it was one of the most impressive games that I've watched in the PLL yet where just top to bottom a team played, like, almost almost like foolproof lacrosse. And then, you know, like – you know, I mean, look, the middle of the game, they outscored him 13 to 3, second and third quarters. That's insurmountable. And look, just hats off. And, and, and Coach Andy Copeland, we've been talking about it all the time. Nobody gives Water Dogs any credit, dude. Like, they come in here into this game. They're like, what, what were they? Were they going to half favorite, going to half dog? It was basically even. Money basically line was even. It was well money for the money lines. I think they gave the, yeah. the edge, the minus one and a half, to the Water Dogs, but I think it was plus something, or no, yeah. the, the yeah, something like that. But I know I remember the money lines was minus one twenty Water Dogs, minus one ten Cannons. So basically yeah. even. But, and I think the Water Dogs. This was kind of a statement game where they're like, "You are all," because I, I, I guarantee more people put money on the Cannons. They were like, "Yo, you forgot we're the champs," and until proven otherwise, we're still the champs. Do you think Andy Copeland has done the best job tailoring his game plan to the style of the PLL? Yeah, because he has, at least this year, because he was the first person to adapt the idea of the prevent. And then half the league basically cut all their face-off guys. I mean, yes, it costs a lot of jobs. But he was the first person to employ that. He was the first person to basically let Zach Clacurrier run the show. But I mean, you got also, a guy who's winning 15 out of 20 faceoffs and then scoring four points for you. Um, but then also, like we talked about, the counterattack. The counterattack transition for them has been money all season, where take the faceoff, fine, and then boom. But even their ability to win faceoffs 
and still win with a strategy like we talked about, icing the puck. I mean, he's done a great job, man. Top to bottom. The guys obviously love playing for him. And and I, I think I think what yeah, you I see from the good. Water Dogs more than any other team is them winning the sub game in terms of the pre- Always. They're always winning the sub game. They're always creating odd man situations by springing guys out of the box, springing guys from the midfield line. They really have gotten that down. And it, and it always leads to a goal or two a game. And that shit's big difference. Yeah, he created – I mean, he got his roster the way he wanted it. And he has had success playing the way that he believes they should be playing. And the guys have bought in. And, you know, look, when you have, in my opinion, like I've said, the best two-way midfielder in the world doing what he's doing for you, and then you have Wardo playing like himself, it's going to be a, a real tough team to beat. Now, it's going to be fascinating when we do our preview next week. We actually have Chris Cotter from ESPN coming on next week to help us with that, which is going to be awesome. Um, and we're going to be breaking down what this is, this Archers versus Water Dogs championship is going to look like. Dude, I don't, there's no way that game is not going to be incredible. I totally agree. I'm super excited to dive deep into that with you. Um, I wish we were going to be there again. It's a bummer we're not making our trip down. Are you going to be there? I know it's in Philly. Are you making your trip down to Philly for it? Or? No, I will not. Jack, my son, started travel soccer, and I'm not going to miss his first game that weekend. There you go. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, it's going to be a great I think, game. you know, we, you, we did discuss possibly doing an IG Live mm-hmm. um, or Twitter spaces during the game, so we'll, we'll figure it out. But we'll be doing something during the game for sure. We might bring in – maybe we'll team up with PLL Bets – get noobs in there and, and Hutton and uh, see what we got. But, um, you know, we're in for, for a treat that weekend in Philly. Absolutely. I'm excited for those game lines to come out and have noobs kind of break it down, see where, uh, where the smart money is on those games. But that's all we got for this wrap-up. The, the only other thing I wanted to touch on was, do um, you see that New York City lack stuff they had for the PLL? That was pretty cool. Yeah, I texted Paul just congratulating him, and he was like, you know, man, this has been a goal of mine for like 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I remember when the New York Lizards were were playing, and, and there was we, we tried our best a couple times. We actually try, had two games scheduled at Icon Stadium um, to try to get people in the city kind of pumped for Lizards lacrosse and pro lacrosse, but it never really came to fruition. So the fact that you have celebrities, KD, et cetera, just rolling in, and the way it was shot, even like the wet court, like everything was thought of. And I thought it was pretty cool. And Casey Powell even kind of chimed in. He's like, you guys are playing speed lacrosse in New York City. That's awesome. So people paid attention. And it's one of the cooler things I've seen in lacrosse in a long time. I'll tell you what. I'm bummed that I wasn't in New York City for that. Like I mentioned, I was upstate at a wedding. It would have been cool to check out. But it's so funny. When I saw that announced, like, I used to live in the East Village. And that's where me and my friends would go play basketball. And, yeah. you know, always just running pickups over there. Um, so I was, I was laughing my my butt off seeing them kind of bring out the nets play three by our uh, speed lax and it was also it was cool, cool to see harlem lax there yeah and city um, lax was there i saw city lax is there you know there's a lot of kids when i was living in the city there's a lot of kids that wish they could play this game and if we really believe in growing the game like everybody loves to use that hashtag but then they charge sixteen thousand dollars to show up to an event it's like then grow it man donate the sticks donate some time you know and, uh, you know, let's, let's spread this game because it's – you and I always talk about the difference between the sport and the, the industry of lacrosse, which I almost can't stand sometimes, um, as opposed to the game. 
which is shared and distributed and 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 loved and and I'm glad to see the game got the uh the recognition it deserved that night. Yeah, and and like, you know, their message, you don't need much, right? To just kind of play in the streets, right? You just need, you know, uh, a mini stick net, a couple sticks and a ball and you can go have fun, be creative, get better and just, you know, have fun playing pickup with your friends just like you would play pickup basketball on that court. You know, you can play pickup lacrosse. So it's really cool to see I thought that was awesome. I, I like I said, I wish I was there, but cool event. Hats off to the PLL for putting that together. Hats off to all the players that you know they had games that weekend. They still showed out, had fun. You know, that means so much to those kids in the city who who know those players, or even though they don't know the players yet, now they do. I'm sure they're all their favorite players now. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean that's that's still the best part about our game is that it's still small enough where a professional athlete can hang out with the fans and get that close of an interaction. You don't see that in any other sport because of, you know, the size that it's gotten to. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. we got to enjoy that because we're in that sweet spot right now. Hopefully 10 years from now, lacrosse players are making a million dollars playing. But in the meantime, let's enjoy the fact that we're, we're all connected that way. Couldn't agree more. And with that, man, that's our recap. That's our episode. Quick one for us, but be sure to tune in next week. We have an action-packed episode. We're going to preview the championship game. We're going to have uh, Cotter on giving us a breakdown. We're going to have our boys from PLL Bets coming through, giving us some sharp picks. But, man, that's episode 43. You have anything to finish with, Greg? Nope. Go Penn State football this weekend. Hell, yeah. And go Pats. Big one against the Dolphins. Got to get back on that winning column. Yep. Make sure you subscribe on Apple, on Spotify, and if you're watching us on YouTube, subscribe to Torch Bros YouTube channel, and that is episode 43. We will see you guys next week. To the moon!